is a time when we often think about Thanksgiving. I wanted our last lesson about the cross to be this Sunday. We've spent this year uh, as our theme looking at the cross and looking at the implications of the cross. And I, and I hope as we've gone through this, it has changed your perspective about what the cross is about, why the Apostle Paul says he would boast in nothing else but the cross of Christ. It really is a revolutionary idea. And, and that brings us to uh, the ending of, of this series over, over this year. And, and last month we saw that we have the Apostle Paul teaching the need for a cross attitude that we looked at Philippians 2 to have the same mind that Christ had who was willing to go to the cross who was willing to suffer willing to die that was the mentality he had that we are to adopt and it is not then just simply that we are to have a cross mentality but then also a cross life uh, as I thought about this lesson I think it is I was thinking about how it's really popular, especially down here being by the beach, that everybody drives around with decals that say salt life. (laughs) And I thought it'd be interesting if we drove around with decals that said cross life, because it is a completely different way of thinking. But I hope when you think about the idea of cross life and all that we have looked at in regards to the cross, that doesn't sound pleasant. The cross is an execution device. The cross was a way you killed the vilest offenders under the Roman Empire. It was not something that was to be considered a positive, but throughout its history was considered a negative. And yet the scriptures constantly use the cross as an image for what it looks like for us to follow him. In fact, one of the biggest Answers as to why Jesus dies on a cross is because of all that it entails is implied to us. All of the sacrifice, all of the negativity, all of the horror. It is not about following Jesus that is something easy, but it is a life of sacrifice and difficulty. That's what sets up what is happening here in Luke chapter 14. You will notice in verse 25, it reads there that great crowds begin to follow Jesus. And you would think that would be a positive. You would think that Jesus would turn around and say, this is great. I'm so glad that so many of you have decided to follow me. I'm so glad that thronging multitudes are coming after me and coming after me. And let's see if we can get as many people as as possible following me. But you will notice that what Jesus does is he perceives this as a problem. He doesn't look at the crowd and go, this is great. We, we just need to keep doing what we're doing. This is exciting. You will notice that it said, he turns around, verse 25, great crowds are accompanying him. And so he turns around to the great crowd and he tells them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, you can't be my disciple. 
Okay. Not the way you spur great crowds. <laughs> Not the way you would picture what you would say to a throng of people. Jesus sees this as a problem because He wants them to understand what it means to follow Him. They need to understand what is entailed. Following Jesus is not easy. It's not simple. It's not just simply, hey, let's follow Jesus. Hey, that sounds like a neat idea. Let's see what He'll do next. When He has crowds coming to Him, He will always turn around and tell them something challenging. He is always thinning the crowd, never trying to create a crowd. And perhaps there's no stronger way that He does that than to turn around to a large crowd and say, you really want to follow Me? Then here's what I want you to do. I want you to hate your father. And I want you to hate your mother. And I want you to hate your brothers and your sisters. And I want you to hate even your own life. If you want to follow me. Now, when you read that, it's important that we get a sense of what he's getting at. It is important that we recognize that when he speaks of hating family, he's not talking about having a virulent, malicious Emotion towards your family. Nobody should be sitting here going, yeah, I hate my parents, so I'm well on my way to heaven. That's not the idea of what Jesus is getting at. It is not about the emotion. It is not about malice. In the ancient world in particular, you spoke of things as kind of categorical contrast. We don't really do that so much. We're more about degrees. Like, I love God, I love my wife, I love tacos. And so, you know, we just kind of go in degrees like that. When they tried to give a sense of something, you would speak of it in a complete contrast. And God does that a lot. For example, think about the phrase when God says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Now, did God have malicious emotion toward Esau? No, that's not what that's getting at. The idea of saying, I love Jacob and hate Esau meant that there was a special privileged choice being made of Jacob such that he is elevated above Esau. It's not like, oh, I hate Esau, I'm going to get him. That wasn't the idea. But that Jacob was receiving a privilege. Jacob had a special choice. And to say love and hate showed the infinite worth and value of the choice of what God was doing to Jacob. And that's the idea of what Jesus is saying. Is that for us, love and loyalty toward Jesus takes precedence. Above everybody else. And so it's a very hard statement. That your loyalty will be to Jesus and to Jesus alone. He gets the precedent. He is number one. He is completely the choice. Your love and devotion will be completely toward Him. And I think then when we think about that, the point ultimately, what he turns around and tells the crowds, is that family will never be placed ahead of Jesus. 
That's what he turned around and told. Here's all the crowds coming to him. And he says, here's what I want you to know about following me. You will never choose your family ahead of me. You will choose me every time. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, you will not choose father first or mother or brother or sister or children. And no, nobody. If you want to follow me, family never comes first. Family never makes the decision. Family never gets the first seat. Family is never ahead of Jesus. Jesus always will receive the priority. That's weighty words. Those are countercultural words. They're still countercultural words in our society. They were especially countercultural words in that society, which was heavy about family and extended family and all staying together. We're kind of a little more disconnected now. We kind of grow up, move away, and you know, we'll see you for Christmas, that kind of thing. And in that world, saying no to family was, was even a bigger deal than it is now. And to us, that's still a big deal. Think about how often we'll readily choose family. We'll choose children. We'll choose siblings. We'll choose parents. We'll choose family ahead of Jesus. Because family's important, right? And God says, yes. But not when it comes to me. Not when it comes to me. I will always receive the priority, is what Jesus says. I will always take the precedence. I will always be where your love and devotion is. And I want you to realize, look at verse 26 again. If that wasn't hard enough, which I think was hard, to turn around to the big crowd and say, recognize your family is second to me. I get the precedent. I get the priority. Me above your family, above your parents, above your spouse, above your kids, above your siblings. Me if you want to follow me. Did you catch it there in verse 26? And even his own life. Not only does Jesus get the priority over family, Jesus gets the priority over you. You never get to choose you ahead of him. This is what he wants them to hear. If you want to follow me, then you are choosing me above everybody. You're even choosing me ahead of yourself. That to follow Jesus is not an easy choice. It is a decision of self-sacrifice. We will not do what is in our best interest as we saw that cross attitude that then leads into a cross life. I won't do what I want because Jesus gets the priority. He will become everything. And I want you to see that that picture, how often when Jesus would try to thin the crowds like that and say things like that, look over, I have it on the screen, but you'll notice this, it happened a little bit earlier where a similar similar thing happened in Luke chapter 9. 
And you'll notice in verse 57, it says, as they're going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And again, what would you think Jesus' response to that will be? That's great, right? Good choice. A plus for you that you want to follow me wherever you want to go. Good job for you. I'm glad you've made that choice. Jesus never says that. He never does. Instead, look what he does. Jesus turns around and says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's Jesus doing? Turns around, you want to follow me wherever I go? Do you understand what you're saying? Do you understand what it means? Do you recognize that following Jesus is not comfortable? It's not simple. It's not easy. It's not doing what you want to do. He says, you know, foxes and birds have it better off than me right now when it comes to sleeping arrangements. <laughs> you know, imagine him saying that to you. We you know what we're going to do if you're going to follow me is you are not going to go home and sleep in your cushy mattress tonight. We're going to go walking and we're just going to stop somewhere and we're just going to lay down there and sleep. Sidewalk, ground, wherever we find, that's where we're stopping that night. We're not staying anywhere. We're just, I don't have a home. We're just going to stop. We all on board with that? Wherever you go, Jesus, and yep, we're just walking around West Palm Beach, and when night hits, we'll just stay right there. It's easy to read those things in the first century context. Oh yeah, follow Jesus wherever and foxes have holes and birds have nestled. Make that sound like today. Would we want to do that? That doesn't sound very enticing. Here is a person who has come up to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus says, do you understand what that looks like? Do you understand the lack of comfort? Do you understand the kind of sacrifice it takes? Do you understand what you're forfeiting? Do you understand what you're giving up? Notice to another, here's Jesus, to another he just says, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead, their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I want you to notice what he says. Follow me. Okay, but let me first. And then the next one. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. First person, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus goes, do you understand what that means? Then Jesus starts coming up to people and saying, follow me. And they say, yes, but first let me. And Jesus goes, no. There is no 
But first, let me, in both of the statements, you see him, they go, let me do this first. This is what Jesus is teaching. I'm the priority. If you want to follow me, there's not but first, because I'm first. There's no let me do this first and then. We like to do that with God. I'm going to do things for God, but first let me get my life in order. First let me get my job hammered down. First let me get my finances figured out. First let me take care of all these things. First let me unpack my house. First let me get this squared away. First let me do this, let me do this, and then I will... And Jesus just goes, no. No. There is no but first. Jesus says, I'm the precedent. I'm the priority. I'm the but first. But first me. You follow me. Everything else comes second. Nothing else takes the precedent. And see, what's powerful about what Jesus is doing with these great crowds is the things that we would think make sense for a but first, Jesus shoots down. Like, Well, but first my spouse. And he goes, no, 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 no. Father, mother, wife, husband, children, siblings. No, no, no. Or, well, but first let me take care of me. And he goes, no. (laughs) You have to hate your own life if you're going to follow me. And again, that's not malicious. I hate myself. It is the infinite weight of the choice. Jesus gets the precedent above our life every single time. Not me, him. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Do you understand what the cross life looks like? That we will understand that the choice is not an easy choice because it truly does run contrary to everything, not only that we are being told in our culture and our society right now, but it runs culture to everything we've ever learned in life pretty much. What does our society tell you you need to do to be a good, healthy, adjusted, well-rounded individual? You need to think about you first. I want you to hear Jesus just stepping on top of that cultural jargon and going, no. If you want to be a healthy, well-rounded, functioning individual, you need to make me first. And our world goes, no, 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 no. And even our souls and ourselves are going, no, 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 no. And Jesus is going, yeah. That's what it means to follow me. That's what the cross life looks like. Jesus turns around and says over and over again, don't think about yourself. We saw that last month. Have this mind that was in Christ Jesus. What was that? Do not put your own interest or think about your own interest, but the interest of others. What's he saying? I'm not the precedent. I'm not the priority. I'm not the number one. He's the number one. He gets the priority. He gets the precedent. That's what the cross life is about. Friends, I hope that in yourself, unless you are spiritually mature, you do feel the complete resistance to this because Jesus is turning things upside down. It is completely unnatural. 
Our natural inclination is, no, I do need to think about me first. (laughs) That's what Jesus is fighting against. It is our tendency to go, no, that can't be right. And that's why Jesus turns around to crowds and says this over and over again. You want to follow me? I get the priority. This is why so many turn away from him. Here's somebody that walks up to him in Luke 9 and says, I will follow you wherever you want to go. Jesus says, well, let's see about that. Are you going to make me number one? Are you up for sleeping on the ground? Because the foxes and the birds have a better chance than I do. Are you going to follow me? It's a powerful declaration that Jesus is making again and again. There is not allowed to be within us. This, but let me do this first. Every time somebody comes up to him and says, yeah, I'm in, but first, he goes, no. I'm the but first. And I want you to notice he then uses some illustrations here to communicate this idea. Look now at verse 27 of Luke 14. Luke 14, verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he is enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying... This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation as for terms of peace. So therefore, listen to it. Any one of you who does not renounce... All that he has cannot be my disciple. This is an interesting picture as he tries to help them understand the cost. And he just starts using these illustrations. What about a king going out to battle? What about a man who's going to build a tower? What about all these different characteristics of situations? And I want to say something that is not profound at all. It is so obvious And yet we have to slow down on it. When Jesus is telling these illustrations about counting the cost, about building a tower or going to war or doing these various activities, do we understand that what Jesus is showing is that to follow him means there actually is a cost? There you go, duh. But slow down on that for a minute. There is a cost... To following Jesus. That's why he uses these illustrations. They are a significant cost to consider. And that's what he's asking for. Is I want you to realize that following me is not just simply. I will follow Jesus. Or I'll give him my time. When it's convenient for me. Or I will do what he wants. When it sounds good to me. 
There is a significant cost that is being described. Ultimately, what Jesus is doing in this description is saying, if you want to follow Jesus, your life cannot continue the way it has before. This is why he's disturbed by the great crowds. Because a bunch of people following him probably think you can just keep living your life the way you've always been. We just kind of tack Jesus on as an appendix to our lives. And yep, and I follow Jesus kind of like, yep, I do all these other things. And that's what Jesus is ending with such strong words. Jesus gets the precedent, the priority above everything and everyone. You have to be willing to renounce everything you have to follow him. You have to be willing to give it all up. Give up every possession. Give up everything that matters most to you. Give up everybody that matters most to you. He just described family. He just described us. Yes, even our own lives. If you want to follow him. And to make the point stronger as if he wasn't strong enough. <laughs> look, look at verses 34 and 35. Most of our Bibles have like a header there as if this is like a whole new teaching and a whole new paragraph and a whole new setting. But it's not. He's still going right on. And he just makes a very simple illustration. If salt's not salty, it's worthless, right? Pretty simple. Makes sense. What's the implication? If you're not willing to give it all, you're a useless disciple. Pretty simple ending. There you go. That's, that's it. That's what you tell the crowd. Great crowd's following me. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Hate your family. Hate yourself. There's a cost. Renounce all that you have. And if you don't, it's a useless disciple. Goodbye. And that's the end. That's the end of that scene. Don't you almost wonder why anybody followed? There is nothing that sounded positive in any of that teaching. Where is the encouragement? Where, okay, how do I do this? That's what I want to spend the, the last few minutes talking about. So how do, we, how do we get there? How do we get to this point? How do we understand and make these kinds of changes and make the shift? Because this is an unnatural, difficult way of thinking and way of life. The cross life is not natural. It's not easy. It's not simple. It does not just come to us and just roll out of bed and go, yeah, I'm going to do that. So how do we get there? Number one. I'm going to speak of three shifts ultimately that we can make. Number one, I want to just ask it before I make the point, but just do we suppose that as Jesus gives this hard teaching and says these things about following him means he receives the priority and the precedent above everything else, that what he is hoping for is a bunch of people who now miserably live through life, 
thinking, I sure wish I could do all of these things. But I guess so I don't go to hell, I'm going to have to make the sacrifice and follow Jesus. I see a lot of you smirking, yet how often is counting the cost and following Jesus portrayed that way? Yep, this life's going to sink. It's going to be painful. You're going to hate it, but heaven's going to be worth it. Good night now. Is that what he wanted? Was a bunch of people who really desired earth so badly, but they were just counting the cost and going, well, I don't think it's ultimately worth it, so I really would rather be here, but I guess I'll make the sacrifice begrudgingly because I have to. That's not what this teaching's about. That should not be the lens by which we look at this kind of teaching. It is not that we are living in misery as we make these sacrifices, but that we are recognizing the inestimable worth of Jesus that we want to make the sacrifice. That's what he's saying. It's not just, oh, I can't do that. Boy, God is such a cosmic killjoy. I don't want to do this, but okay. He wants you to desire Him so much that you want to give it all up. You want Him so much that you are willing to make Him number one in everything. If Can I say it like this? Yes, following Jesus is a sacrifice. There's a cost. But it needs to be under the right lens that it's the kind of sacrifice you make for something you enjoy doing. Wait a minute, what do you mean by that? Example. You're about to go on this great vacation, right? Okay. Are there costs and sacrifices associated with you going on the vacation? Yeah, packing stinks. <laughs> you know, there's lots of things you're going to have to do that you don't want to do. Drive a long way, get on an airplane, pack your bags, deal with traffic, go through security. There's all kinds of things that are costs and sacrifices. But what do you really sit there and go, this vacation is going to be horrible because I have to spend money, go through TSA, sit on a cramped airplane, and finally get there six hours later after going through the hassle? No. Those sacrifices, those costs, are considered nothing for what the experience is going to be. That's the idea. It's not that we go about living life thinking, oh man, this is horrible, all the things I've got to give up, and all oh, this stinks and all that, but I desire Christ so much. I want Him so much. I want a life with Him so much. I want to know Him so much that anything that I give up, I want to give up and are considered small costs. Because I'm looking at the bigger picture of him. That's the idea. We should never portray Christianity as a lifeless, soul-sucking existence on this earth. And we just kind of grin and bear it on the way to heaven. I want to be with him so much that everything else is a far second. 
To use the illustration, the vacation is so going to be so great, I will deal with the lines on the travel and the security. It's fine. I'm fine with it. It's no problem. Those sacrifices are nothing. And if I would ask you, is it a sacrifice? Of course it is. But it's relatively small, isn't it? That's what happens is we get to a point where we desire Jesus so much that we want to abandon all personal projects, all personal plans, all personal goals, and adopt all of Jesus' personal projects, personal plans, and personal goals for our life. That's the trade we're making. That's the sacrifice that's being called for. Is that there becomes such a heart for God, such a desire for Him, such an interest in Him, that we want to make the change. We want to flip everything over. That we would look at things and we would consider it no loss at all if we are to lose our lives here for the gain of being with Him. How do the apostles and first century Christians, how are they able to give up their lives like they are, except this mentality? <clears throat> that the cost of this life is far worth it for what God is offering. I want to be with Him. So that's the first shift, is recognizing the unmissable worth of Jesus and that we would want to be with Him above all else. Number two, in making the shift, count the cost of not following Jesus. Count the cost of not following him. Here's what I mean by that. Go ahead and live with everything you can get out of this life. Just go for it. Get everything, go for everything, every desire, every pleasure, every possession. Just go for it all. And at the end of the day and at the end of the life, what do you ultimately have? You have nothing. Because every pleasure, every desire, and every possession does not last. Everything that we could possibly go for in this life does not last. I was keenly aware of that yesterday. I was washing my car. About six months ago or so, I parked it somewhere and somebody sideswiped it in the parking lot and didn't leave a note. Big surprise, right? No security footage, anything like that. I just have a damaged car. There you go. And of course, if you report that to insurance, guess whose insurance goes up? Mine. Is that that was my fault because I parked somewhere that somebody ran in my car. But there, another story. Why would we put value and life-lasting joy and effort into these things that don't end up lasting? Not a single one of them. Just count the cost. Of not following Jesus. What you are saying is. You will get all you can out of this life. And you will find your lasting joy and satisfaction in this life. And if you think about that long enough. You know that doesn't work. We talked about the iPad. What a month or two ago. Your iPad 3 is worth $5 now. You paid $500 and it's worth 5 How's that going for us about accumulating possessions and stuff? 
It's not working. It's just not working. And what we are doing is saying, I'm going to get it all in this life. And yet it just goes right through our fingers every time. Every time we think we're getting ahead, we fall behind. Every time we think we're getting on top, we're back on the bottom again. Just when you think you're about to breathe, something else runs over you. That's God, Ecclesiastes, God made life like that (laughs) so that you would look for something more. He made your life to be vanity so that you would put your eyes upward and go, there better be more to all this. Because this just is temporary and it just keeps going by and going by and going by. What we are ultimately doing, that if we do not count the cost of not following Jesus, is we are exchanging the eternal joys and the eternal riches for vapor and mist. Things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Things that are beautiful one day and now have scratches down the side the next. And you can get all worked up about it, but it's going to happen. No matter how far out from Walmart you park, it's eventually going to fall apart. It's all going to fall apart. It's all going to become junk. Your grandparents' stuff is all in a trash heap somewhere. It's all nothing. It's useless. Which means, number three, then in making the shift, recognize that Jesus is offering rest from all that. Jesus is offering rest. Part of the strain of life is we keep reaching out for empty pursuits. We just keep running and grasping for what the writer of Ecclesiastes says is wind. You keep trying to grab it, and you never do. And it'll be the next toy, or the next thing, or the next job, or the next person, or the next whatever, and it never works. And what Jesus is doing is he's just offering rest. And just ultimately he's saying he's the sacrifice you want to make. When you look at life in this way, it is the sacrifice you want to make. You can waste your life here in its emptiness and vanity and have nothing to show for it. Or you can see the inestimable worth of Jesus. Infinitely more valuable. And say the sacrifice is worth it. One final illustration, if I were to say, if you give me a dollar today, I'll give you a million dollars tomorrow, would you think about it very long? Would you say the sacrifice was too much? Boy, how dare you ask me for so much? It's what Jesus is offering. Very little today. Eternity to come. Let's have a prayer and then we'll have a moment for an invitation our heavenly father our heavenly father we thank you for what you've done for us how you open our eyes illuminate our minds to see how valuable how amazing you are how empty this life is without you and that we would see lord the joy of following you in this life 
that what you ask of us is so small for all that lies ahead. And yes, it is a cost. And yes, we will make decisions that are difficult and they can be painful, but that we will see. And we would just see the great worth of the rest and eternity that you are giving to us. Lord, help us see it. Help us see it with a much greater faith. Help us see it with greater eyes. So that we would not grab onto this life, but grab onto everything that you are offering to us. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his teaching that wakes us up from living for self and thinking about self. And may we see what Jesus is saying to us today, that it is worth following you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want us to think about the words that we're just about to sing in this invitation song. The song is the way of the cross. The words in it are going to speak of walking with a cross in a very positive light. So I hope you just won't be carried by the melody, but that you'll actually be captured by what what he's telling us, what this this author does in the desire to take the cross and follow him. We must be thankful for the cross of Jesus. And we invite you to come to Jesus and follow him today with all of your heart. If you are willing to make the sacrifice, if you are willing to say, I see the cost, though it is giving up all things, is really quite small to all that God is offering. We are here to help you do that. Won't you come as we stand and sing?